0: Welcome to episode 14 of the Invited Along podcast.
1: Hello world, this is Juan,
0: And this is Quentin. We're an international couple travelling around the world for love, work and the pursuit of wonder.
1: Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly
0: and not breaking the bank. With Malaysia in the rearview mirror we are now making our way to Sydney, Australia. We are going to stay a week exploring the city and surviving the local wildlife.
1: As always when jumping into a new country here is a bit of a refresher. Australia is of course a large country and part of Oceania. It is bordered by the Indian and Pacific Oceans and depending on your definition of an island it is also the world's biggest island. Despite its size, it's only home to 26 million people, in large part because of so much of the country is made out of inhospitable desert landscapes. As a result, 80% of the population lives on the southeastern coast urban areas, namely Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Adelaide, where the climate is much more temperate.
0: While most of the population today is of Western Europe descent, Australia has actually been inhabited by various Aboriginal peoples for at least 65,000 years, which is incredibly impressive considering that it's a good 20,000 years before other cultures around the world figure out long-term boat travel. Today, people of Aboriginal descent still represent roughly 3% of the population, and they have recently started to get recognition in the Australian Parliament.
1: Politics-wise, Australia essentially follows a democratic system similar to the UK, and like Malaysia and Singapore, they are part of the British Commonwealth. They drive on the left, and their currency is the Australian dollar, with the exchange rate of 1 US dollar equals 1.45 Australian dollar at the time of this recording. Before diving into the city, it's time for takeoff, where we discuss logistics. We left Kuala Lumpur on Sunday evening, August 7th, And after a layover in Singapore, we landed in Sydney on Monday morning. To pay for it, we transferred 56,000 Chase points, which is 28,000 each per person, from our Chase account to the Singapore Airlines account. This is exactly what we did to fly from Cambodia to Singapore, if you remember from a few episodes back. We stayed one night at the gorgeous Pier 1 Sydney Harbour Hotel, located right at the southern end of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And this we booked using a free night certificate that you get once a year with the Marriott Bonvoy Brilliant Amex card, and that free night certificate is valued up to 40,000 Marriott points for a stay. Since we also have the Marriott Gold Elite status, we were able to upgrade to a room with a view of the bridge and got free breakfast and free sunset welcome drinks right on the pier. That's normally 250 US dollars a night, which we got for free.
0: Yes, and the rest of the week we stayed at the Four Points by Sheraton Hotel, that is next to the University of Technology of Sydney. It is also a Marriott property booked with points. We paid 99k for four nights, and we got a fifth night for free, which is the standard when you book with points, with Marriott. Again, for comparison, with five nights at this hotel paid cash, it would have cost us about 935 US dollars. And that's how you get a swanky stay in Sydney for a week, without breaking the bank. So as you can imagine, there's plenty to do in Sydney, and in one week we barely got to scratch the surface. But we still got busy, and we have plenty to talk about. And first, I want to address one thing, that after the very confusing Kuala Lumpur public transport system, Sydney was very simple to figure out. Even the airport, which is very close to the city centre, has a very clear train that brings you directly into downtown, all the public transportation Sydney can be paid by using contactless card, so it was very straightforward and in general we had no issues following the directions and figure out what lines to use, including with buses.
1: Now, because Sydney is such a world-renowned travel city, there are some main sites that you cannot miss when visiting, and of course, we did visit them. So the first is Harbour Bridge, it's a very iconic, sturdy, and imposing bridge with incredible views overlooking the Sydney Harbour, and it takes about 30 minutes to walk from one side of the bridge to the other. Of course, the harbour itself and the rocks, which is the hilly area, with preserved older buildings and many cute shops, cafes, hidden-sized streets, etc. is also worth walking around. There even is a rocks museum, we didn't go, but it is there and available. Then, of course, the Sydney Opera House. Surprisingly, it's actually made out of s- separate buildings, which I didn't know, because when you look at it from postcards or Google Images or something, it looks like one big building. But no, it's actually separate shelves, and it is still very impressive from up close. But you cannot visit the inside for free, unless I heard if you go have a pee in there. Then there's the Haymarket area, George Street, and the Queen Victoria building locally known as the QVB. This whole area is a shopping district that's central to Sydney. It reminded us a little bit of Portland, Oregon. It has a town hall. There's a St. Andrew's Cathedral. The QVB is this gorgeous Victorian era building that was an indoor market, now is still an indoor market. And it is long and skinny and full of upscale shopping and an absolutely beautiful clock. So just walk around and meander around that area was very much worthwhile as well.
0: As an aside, a lot of these places we visited on our own and then we returned to a couple days later as part of the Sydney Free Walking Tour. So they are a very famous walking tour you can find in Sydney. They have those bright green t-shirts and you can spot them from afar. They are, strictly speaking, like technically they are free because you do not need to pay to join them, but it is considered the right thing to give them a good tip at the end of the tour, which lasts a good two hours. They work hard, and they definitely give us some information. So even though it is free, in reality, most people will spend a bit of money and give a tip, maybe $15, $20 per person for a good tour. And it was really a great way to learn a bit more about those buildings that we had seen, but none of really knew what they were or what the context was. So we we certainly recommend it. Now beyond these main stops, there are a surprising number of free cultural activities and we love free stuff. So we took advantage of that. First we can talk museums. There is the Contemporary Art Museum, which is located on the the rocks, very close to the harbour. It has a free entry and even a free tour at 10am every day. We were able to join the tour. It is quite small, but it's really packed with interesting stuff. If you're into contemporary art, it's very interesting. There's a lot of art by Aboriginal artists. And there was, when we were visiting, also a retrospective on Vivian Binns, who's a quite famous contemporary Australian artist and feminist. We didn't eat at the rooftop cafe, but it is quite well-known around the area, and it would be a great lunch spot because it looks out right onto the Opera House. And the prices were, I would say, decent. The second museum we visited was the Art Gallery of New South Wales. It's a much more classic, I would say, art museum, kind of what you'd expect when you enter an art museum. There's many French, Dutch, Italian artists, but also a large number of Australian works and a lot of Australian artists who actually went to France, Italy, etc. to study in the 19th and 20th century. As inside, it's also open late on Wednesdays until 9, 10 p.m. So it closes officially at 10 p.m., but a lot of the main galleries close at 9 p.m. But it's a great way to kind of spend the evening uh, after you've gone done some sightseeing. It's a nice cool down to the day.
1: There's also a great little cafe in the basement of this museum, and it, that is also open until late. And I would again say that the prices are pretty reasonable. Nearby to the Four Points Hotel, there is actually another gallery called the White Rabbit Gallery, and this one specialized in contemporary Chinese art. For me, it's very interesting to see Chinese artists take on society, relationships, sexuality, and a lot of what I would consider art that you would definitely not see anywhere else as part of their exhibit. It doesn't take too long to walk through it, but quite eye-opening, especially from a Chinese perspective. Next, in the city center of Sydney, there's also the Sydney Museum. And we were so lucky because this museum recently became a free museum to the public, and it talks about the history of Sydney, since Sydney is the location of the first British Aboriginal contact, and it has a lot of very insightful history around that experience. There's also an exhibit about 20th century developments that could have been in central Sydney, such as the Opera House and all the bidding projects to create the Opera House, protecting the rocks and other neighborhoods, etc. And you could even see a quote from Trump about Sydney from 30 years ago. That sounds exactly like him. In addition, there is public art all over the city. We saw a bunch of sculptures by our hotel and the surrounding piers. And caught the Whale Tales Art Walk with 30 Australian artists decorating different whale tail sculptures all over the city. So, by the time you listen to this podcast, this particular exhibition may not be on anymore. But rest assured, I'm sure Sydney, being the wonderful art and cultural city that it is, will offer a plethora of public art at any time during the year.
0: Yeah, another public art piece that's quite well known is the one located on Angel Place, which is within downtown, close to Haymarket, where you have those cages that are in an alley, they they hung up in up in the alley, and they play the sound of birds that used to live where Sydney now stands, and those birds have since disappeared from the Sydney area. But honestly, one of our favourite things to do in Sydney was not necessarily the museum or anything like that, it was just to mozzy around town and find cool spots to explore. And here are our top buzzing spots. The first one is the Wendy Whiteley's Secret Garden. It is just minutes from the north end of Harbour Bridge. So you just have to cross Harbour Bridge if you're in the south and then you turn left. And it is a gorgeous little hidden garden with endless paths and very luscious plants, very beautiful parts left and right, kind of hidden and secret. And we had a lovely picnic there under a massive fig tree just after our walk across the Harbour Bridge, and we really highly recommend going there. You just have to walk for a few minutes to get a sense of the place. It's really worth it. Another place we also saw was the Goods Line. The Goods Line is essentially a walk-in path that goes through the University of Technology campus. Again, as we mentioned, the Four Points by Sheraton was right next to it, so for us it was a five minutes walk. And this Goods Line allows you to see some of the most iconic building of that university, including mostly the Frank Gehry's building For I believe is the Economics Building and it's known as the Paper Bag Building. If you see it, you will understand. If you do not know what we're talking about, we invite you to check on Google, type Frank Gehry Building, University of Technology, Sydney, and you'll see what we mean. Another place that's really worth walking through is the Royal Botanic Garden. It is right next to the Opera House. It's again very close to the harbour. It's really well put together, really well curated, not very lush, I would say. A lot of it is actually lawns and you just kind of walk around. But there's very, very nice collection of plants. It's very well described. You can find signs to all the different parts. There's beautiful viewpoints onto the harbour. And it kind of reminded us a bit of St. James's Park in London, if you've ever been.
1: One particular path we need to mention is the incredible coastal walk between Spit and Manly along the North Harbour. So this is a longer path, around 10 kilometres, and it took three to four hours. It has breathtaking views of the harbor, lots of local wildlife like birds and different varieties of plants. You can see the change of plant species from the beach to forest to undergrowth to shrubby to rocky terrains etc and there was even a detour to visit a hidden lighthouse. The ferry from Manly back to Sydney is also super lovely and one of the most stunning and iconic public transportation options probably ever. Note that there is a fast ferry, which is a private company, but it is not worth the money. Just take the public ferry, which is much cheaper and takes pretty much the same amount of time. I would also recommend that you go around Sunset, this ferry, because you'll see stunning views of the Sydney Harbor at sunset, including the Sydney Opera House. Another famous coastal walk, similar to the Spit to Manly walk, is the Kugi to Bondi Beach walk. It is also stunning, and you'll see really beautiful waves crashing against cliffs, and quite famous with locals and with visitors. When we went, we only went for the stretch from Bronte to Bondi, which is kind of through the urbanised neighbourhoods, but apparently you can see whales. We did not that day, but we did see a ton of surfers who really enjoyed the surfs along these gorgeous beaches. And we saw the iconic Bondi Iceberg Club, which has the stunning outdoor swimming pool that butts up right against the waters.
0: Finally, let's talk about food a bit. Unlike our previous stops throughout Southeast Asia, which are known for their delicious local cuisine, Australian cuisine is mostly similar to what you'd find in the UK and is very familiar to people growing up in Western Europe or North America. Most of what you'll find in Sydney labeled Australian food is just variations of European dishes. However, it's still very good and we still have a few special mentions. Lamington cake. It's sponge cake with a cream filling and a sort of chocolate and coconut coating around it. It is delicious and it is actually not as heavy as it sounds. We were able to Polish off a good piece quite easily, we found. Uh, We have Meat Pies, in the words of Tim Minchin, who is one of my favourite Australian artists, I love you like Orsi's Dick Pie, and we can see that in Sydney, because the Meat Pies are a completely different game to the ones we've had in other countries before. Very rich, very bold flavours, not exactly subtle, but it does the job. And we want to give a shout out to Juan's friends from All Hands and Hearts, Ike, who we were able to meet up with as he was in transit to Papua New Guinea. We met up at this very cute place called the Tea Cozy, get it, uh, that is by the rocks with excellent sweet and savory scones and genuinely very good tea. There's also Toasty Smith that we want to mention. It's a fairly new chain with essentially sandwiches that are made with toasted brioche bun and they are very generous and very tasty as well.
1: We also tried Indu, which is a modern Sri Lankan restaurant. They have kind of an experimental menu, and we were told that this would be a fantastic place to try by Sam Bailey, our other friend who we met up with. Of course, being on this giant island, we had to try some local seafood. So we hit up the Sydney Fish Market, and there was so much seafood to try, it was honestly a bit overwhelming because of the selection, but we did eventually make some choices and we tried some famous foods from Sydney including the rock oysters and the barramundi fish. Because we were traveling long term and on a budget, we did do a few grocery runs to get some breakfast items and snacks and of course some cheeky ramen to offset all of our eating out. And before wrapping up this section, we absolutely need to give a shout-out to our friend Sam Bailey. She invited us to join her yin yoga session and showed us a great time around town on our last day. Sam, you're the highlight of the trip, and we cannot wait to host you in Chicago.
0: So if it sounds like we had a great time, that's because we did. But still, we have a bit of turbulence to talk about, right?
1: Oh yeah. Firstly... It is wintertime in Sydney in August, so the weather is what Sam calls a bit moody, and I love that description, because indeed it is a bit hot and cold and rainy and sunny all in one go, and the sun sets by 5pm. So remember to bring a rain jacket and don't get drenched like we did during the first hour of the spit to manly walk. Actually, I say we, it's more like me, because Quentin actually remembered to bring his rain jacket. And I was checking the weather forecast, and I specifically told him that morning before we set out, nah, I don't need my rain jacket, there's no rain on the radar. I was wrong. <laughs> I should have also brought my swimsuit along, since it seems like even though it's winter, there were plenty of people still swimming, at least on these sunny days, and it would have been really cool to go for a dip on Bondi Beach.
0: Yeah, although we don't know if the water was at a nice temperature, those people were just very, very resistant to cold so we'll never know
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's true but it would have been good to try at least
0: I agree and honestly for me in terms of turbulence not much this week what Juan said about the winter was definitely uh, one point because I did really not pack any sort of winter clothes the only thing I had was a an undershirt which did work really well but I had to kind of use my rain jacket as my go-to jacket because it was a bit too cold to just be around in a t-shirt
1: but you were by default prepared for rain, though.
0: Yeah, but at least I was prepared for rain. So that was <laughs> nice. Uh, I did enjoy that. Otherwise, I would say the turbulence I really felt is just a travel fatigue. At this point, if you followed, we've been through five different countries. We had all this trip in Malaysia, which where we stayed in very nice, chill places. But, you know, after two months of traveling, it is starting to really hit you. So I would say apart from that night where we went to the art gallery and we actually stayed out rather late and that night we spent with Sam, the rest of the week we were pretty much done by like 7 or 8pm and we just completely crashed uh, and woke up the following day at like 10. But, you know, I really didn't, did not mind. I think it was needed and we really have to sometimes listen to what our bodies are telling us as we are travelling and if they're telling us, I'm dead exhausted, we need to stop, then you need to stop. And the other tiny turbulence I had was, well we had, was when we made the mistake of trying to eat our meat pies on the harbour in Sydney. And if I say that and you are from Sydney, you already know what happened. A massive flock of seagulls spotted us from like half a mile away and descended upon us uh, to try and get those <laughs> meat pies. And there's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could do. It was, um, <laughs> it just was, they're very aggressive. They do not care that you're trying to eat They're trying to eat too. And we had to kind of flee with our tail between our legs before the seagulls were attacking us.
1: Oh, these seagulls are vicious. I've never seen such aggressive seagulls until I got to Sydney. I heard they are really infamous there for attacks.
0: Yeah, and one tried to land next to me, but sort of did not stick the landing and straight up just flew into my arm. It wasn't painful, but I was really surprised that the seagull was so bold that it did not hesitate to just headbutt me in the arm.
1: I'm just glad it's the seagulls that are aggressive and not these giant ibis birds, who are also known as bin chickens by the locals. I mean, these things are huge. They're like turkey-sized. Imagine if one of those started to attack you for your meat pie.
0: Yeah, that would be a bigger problem. And they have massive beaks as well. But no, they really only care about the bins, hence the name. Her, seated this time. And that brings us to Flying High, the highlights of the week for us. If I have to choose one, it's very hard, but I would say the Spit to Manly walk was really, really beautiful. Very much needed as a sort of place uh, to just refill feel our feet working and seeing all those different landscapes, like we explained earlier. I mean, Han did a great job describing the Spit to Manly walk, so I'm not going to repeat it, but essentially I just really enjoyed that walk. I also enjoyed, there's a bit of mental relaxation that comes with being in a familiar country. We had never been to Australia, but we have lived most of our lives in Western Europe or North America. And you can tell that Sydney has kind of a similar logic in the way it works as the cities, again, in Western Europe and North America. So it's a bit easier to understand where things are, where you can buy them, sort of how to function in a city. And of course, people speak English as a first language, so it does bring a bit less mental load to just exist in this space for us. And of course, I must also point out a last highlight of the week. During a free walking tour, we bumped into uh, New Zealand actor Ris Darby, who, like, <laughs> Juan had no idea who he was, most people were around uh, in a free walking tour, had no idea who it was, but the guide and I... Both watch the same shows, so Flight of the Concords, Our Flag Means Death, and Riz Darby is one of the main characters in there, and I really like the work he does as an actor, and we're both a bit starstruck.
1: Yeah, he was just casually walking down the street with his kids and even paused to listen in on the free tour, but then our tour guy got really flustered because he was starstruck. <laughs> as for me, my highlight of the week was definitely meeting up with my friends Sam and Ike, Gotta love good friendship times, and it's always amazing to have friends who are local to a place, so they have great recommendations. And Sam, of course, is such a foodie, even in our London days, she always knew all the best places to eat and to have a good time. And a lot of the things that we actually did were from a list that Sam sent me. And now that's a wrap for Sydney. Our next stop is Calgary in the Banff area of Canada for our friend's wedding. But now as we record these episodes, they are actually published with a slight delay. So here in the real life, we are about to start the Camino de Santiago walk, where we'll be walking for long distances with our backpacks over the period of a month or so. And we're not quite sure if the logistics of the Camino will allow us to keep the same podcasting frequency, so you may experience some disruptions in our future episode schedule. The best way to receive an update about our publishing schedule or any delays or exciting things is to follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast.
0: And in the meantime, as always, you can also reach us by email at invitedalong at gmail.com. Some people have started sending us some messages asking for like hotels and recommendations. And we are very, very glad to answer any question.
1: I know. Can you believe people are writing in who who are not
0: related to us or are our friends? I know. I couldn't believe it. It was really fun. (laughs) Very exciting.
1: Yes, we are so glad. Please keep on writing in or DM us on Instagram. So long for now.
0: Bye-bye.